Miracles, signs, and wonders. Miracles, just the, uh, well, let me give you the definition. Uh, so I kind of took a whole bunch of definitions together and put them into one. Supernatural manifestations of the power of God that transcends the ordinary laws of nature. The miraculous. Miracles, signs, and wonders. And as we continue our study in this subject matter, we're going to open the Word of God to 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17, and we're going to read some 24 verses this morning. So if there's a Bible close to you, page 500, I believe, in the, uh, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you or close by you, we're going to read a story about one of these uh, men of God who perform miracles. As I said last week, there were certain times in the era of redemptive history where, the, where miracles were seen a lot of. Right back in the time of Moses and the time of the prophets that we're turning to today with Elijah and then following that Elisha. I think Pastor Mark's going to be preaching next week on the prophet Elijah, one of the miracles that he performed. And then in the time of Jesus and the apostles. Here we have in 1 Kings chapter 17, a familiar story to some of us, but maybe for some the first time you might hear it, where Elijah performs two miracles. We're going to hear a message in the Word of God this morning about how God still has the power of life and still holds the power of death. And there's no other God like him. I was reading this week about Buddha. You've heard of Buddha before. A God of many people still in this world. And some people say that Buddha was the greatest God who ever lived. But you know what Buddha couldn't do? And what Buddha did not do? He didn't rise from the dead when he died. There's only one God, one God who rose from the dead when he died, and that's our God. That's one of the reasons I'm a Christian. No other God has risen for the dead for the sake of his people. First Kings 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither rain, dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. Okay, now he has the power that God gave him to cause a drought. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you here. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. Now this is interesting because here he's combating against Ahab and, and, and the wicked Jezebel. Well, this was Jezebel's hometown, the whole region of Sidon. God sends him over there to take care of him rather than to send him to his own people of Israel. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow. Who's in charge? God's in charge. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may drink? As she was going to get it, he called, Oh, and bring me, please, a piece of bread as well. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. 
I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and then die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run out until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Okay, now it's good and happy times. Life is restored. There's hope for the future. You think things are all set with a widow, right? Watch what happens. Verse 17, sometimes later the, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Do you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon the widow that I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let the boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him. And he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Miracles, signs, and wonders. I'm going to ask you again this morning. Do you believe in the almighty power of God? Do you believe that our God, the God, the creator of the world, is a God who is able to do anything and everything, even the impossible? Do you believe that our God can change the course of nature with a twinkling of an eye, with a snap of a finger? Changing the course of nature. Do you believe that our God is a God of life and a God who controls death? Last December, some of you may have read about the, uh, a church in Redding, California, called Bethel Church, and there, there was a music director who put a plea out to the nation and to her church regarding her two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Uh, very similar to what we read here this morning about Stop to Breathing, 
there, there was a, a news article that came out and said uh, her daughter had stopped breathing and had died. She wasn't too happy with it as a mother. So being a Christian and being a believer and believing in the power of God, she did something that for a lot of us as Christians is rather unusual and seldom if ever prayed for. You recall the story? She asked her church to pray with her intensely, passionately, that God would raise this two-and-a-half-year-old daughter from the dead. And for two weeks, they prayed intensely. Bring this girl back to life. The end result was no miracle. And they had a memorial service and buried her. Now, how do you respond when you hear a story like that? My first initial response was something like, are you kidding me? Are you kind of foolish, woman? Don't you know that God doesn't do that kind of thing anymore today? That was kind of my first gut reaction when I, when I heard about that story. Um, and maybe some of you think it's wrong even to pray that kind of prayer. Even though we believe that God can do the impossible, is it wrong to pray that when someone either has a terminal illness or actually dies, that God would raise them back from the dead. And the question being, of course, who holds the power? Who holds the power over life and who holds the power over death? I'll come back to that story in just a few moments. 1 Kings 17 uh, answers the question very, very clearly. Some people say I, there, there's still one prominent preacher who says you, should, you don't have to preach from the Old Testament. It's kind of past and done. Just preach from the New Testament. Don't ever listen to that, to that kind of talk. We learn from redemptive history who our God is and how he acts. And it's shown not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. The Old Testament here in 1 Kings 17, some background information. The people of Israel, they still believed in God, in, in Yahweh, the, the, our God. They still believed in him. But after living among the Canaanites for a while, they began believing in another God as well. This God by the name of Baal. Some of you have heard of him, of course. And so they were worshiping God, Yahweh, our God. Yahweh, Old Testament word for God. And they were worshiping Baal or Baal. And the Canaanites believed and the Israelites began to believe as well that this God, Baal, was the God of the weather, was the God of the rain, was the God of the crops, was the God of over children, was a God over life, and that he was the fertility God, that any kind of life that came into the world was because of the power of Baal. And they would pray to him and ask him regarding matters of life because they believed that he was the Lord of life. Well, God had had enough of this. A holy God, the all-powerful God, had had enough and so he, he steps up to the plate because he wants to set the record straight with his people, Israel, who were lost in their apostasy. And so he sends Elijah. What is he? And he sends Elijah to turn the hearts, which we need always, often. That's what confession is about. To turn the people's hearts back to God and to show not only the Canaanites, but to show his own people. Who is the Lord of life and who is the Lord of death? There is only one. God says, it's me. And he's going to drive this point home by giving Elijah the power, Elijah, the man of God, the power to perform miracles, to confirm 
the message that he would bring, that God is the God of life and God is the God of death. The first miracle Elijah speaks about in 1 Kings 17 is in verses 1 through 16. Uh, some of us are familiar with the story, some of us maybe not so familiar. Uh, it just shows us that not Baal, this God of the Canaanites, but God is controlling the weather. He can turn the faucet off. God determines, what is it, Zechariah who says he brings rain in the springtime. God, Yahweh, our God, is the God who controls the weather and the rain. In verses 2 through 6, we read that God wants to sustain the life of Elijah because he has important work for him to do. So he sends Elijah with a message to Israel. And he goes, first of all, because he needs drink and he needs food because of the, of the drought and the starvation, to this brook. And he's fed by the ravens. And the water gives him what he needs to drink. But as would happen to be the case in most droughts, the brook dries up, verses 7 through 9. And so he sends him to this widow in Zarephath. I always find that amazing because why would he send a holy God into an unholy place? Sidon, as I mentioned, what was a place where Jezebel was brought up. It was a very wicked, wicked, wicked place to live in. He could have sent them to a, a widow's house in Israel and blessed that widow as well through him. But he sends him over here to Zarephath, to this widow. And in verses 10 through 16, we find that God sustains the life of Elijah, the widow, and the son. They were on their last meal, literally their last meal. They were going to have their last meal, and because of starvation, they were going to die. Okay? Very tragic circumstances. <laughs> Elijah comes along and he says, well, hey, did you imagine? It doesn't even seem right, does it? Oh, by the way, a widow, feed me first. Give me what you have to drink first, and then you can take whatever's left. And of course, she's like, well, yeah, I, I'm because God had told the widow to do this, she's going to do this, but I would think in her shoes, sandals, you would be saying, it doesn't make much sense to me. And then he has this, this wonderful line that I've heard many sermons on, the jar and the jug will never be empty until it rains again. Boys and girls, that's a miracle. Can you imagine having a jar of Kool-Aid? I don't know, what, what's a kid's favorite drink today? Somebody tell me. Milk? Chocolate milk. Can you imagine boys and girls opening chocolate milk, one of those little jars of chocolate milk or a little box, and it just never empties? You can just keep drinking it and drinking it and drinking it and drinking it. That's what God is doing here with the water. It's, just, it's, it's never going to empty. You can just keep pouring it and pouring it. And the flour as well, you can just keep pouring it and pouring it. It's never going to empty again until by my word when the rain comes back. God's point here in this first miracle, he says, listen, I, Yahweh, am the giver of life. And he gave them not just life, but renewed life, renewed hope. Like, boy, our future now looks very promising. We're not going to die. There, there is life ahead of us for as long as we would like. Good news. So put yourself in this widow's shoes. She's, she's kind of dancing around and skipping like, well, I got it good. God's going to bless me in this way. Who holds the power over life? Who holds the power over nature? First of all, God says to the prophet Elijah, I do. Don't ever forget it. So first of all, whenever you have life issues that you're dealing with, 
We have to make decisions regarding your life, whether it's your health, whether it's your job, whether it's finances, whatever is going on in your life, whatever adverse circumstances are going on in your life, why do you think you should pray to God? Or why do you think you should go any other place to change your present circumstances regarding your life? I'll tell you why. It's very clear. Because God holds the power over your life. Every single moment, every single day, every tomorrow. When you find yourself in a situation where circumstances aren't very good and, in fact, rather tragic, go to God and just see how God can change your circumstances. So things are all good so far. And it'd be kind of nice for the widow and the son if the story ended here. God performs this great miracle. But then we read on. A short time later, almost like a, a, a shocking change of circumstances. When you first read it, you scratch your head and try to figure out what's going on. A short time later, there's this reversal of circumstances. The very life and hope and future that she was just given miraculously. As quickly as she received it, it was stripped away from her and her son. That quickly. And the hope that she had and the, and the life or tomorrow was going to bring that she had was quickly taken away, setting the stage for this second miracle. The second miracle in 1 Kings 17 shows us not so much who is the Lord of life, although that's included, but also who is the Lord over death, verses 17 through 24. Let's quickly again review this, this, this particular miracle. In verse 17, we read that the widow's son becomes ill. And he dies. And the widow, of course, is now a little, somewhat confused. And he says, I'm going to take this matter up with this so-called man of God, Elijah. And I'm going to take this matter up with God. And notice what she does and the questions that she asks in verse 18. First, she kind of blames Elijah. Oh, is this some funny joke that you're pulling on me? What are you doing to put me through something like this? You should have just left me alone in the first place. She first blames Elijah, and then she blames God for what just happened. How many times have we done that? How many times have you done that when you pray and you don't get what you want, or God changes your circumstances to the worse instead of the better? We do that, don't we? It's easy to blame somebody else. It's easy to blame God when our life takes a turn for the worse. She does the same. In verse 19, Elijah is still trying to really figure out what's happening here, so he takes the matter up with God, right? He goes to God himself, and he cries out to God in verse 20, and he pretty much is saying something like this, what are you doing? Here, you, you perform this miracle through me, and you give this widow and son a hope and a future. And now you turn that right around, and you, and you allow this death to happen. And Elijah, in verse 21, lays on the body of the boy and cries out to God. Now, laying on the body, there's, there's some disagreement of what that actually was, but more than likely, because um, Elisha did the same thing in 2 Kings 4, it was kind of like in our day giving CPR. That's one, one, one thing they did in those days, maybe to help give life back to someone and, and, you, and just by laying on the sun uh, and, and hoping that that might help. And so Elijah goes to God and says, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return. Doesn't that tell you something about Elijah? Who of us would pray like that? Elijah had never seen a resurrection. Elijah 
Never saw God or ever had told him through God to raise somebody from the dead. But Elijah goes passionately before the Lord and says, Lord, let this boy's life return. He believed in a God of miracles. He believed that God can do the impossible. And he prays. And then, of course, we read in verse 22, it's back to lifetime. This is powerful. The first resurrection in the scriptures. None had ever been done before. The boy comes back to life, and his life is restored. And then in verse 23, we read that Elijah goes back to the widow. He hands her her son and says, listen, he's alive. Now put yourself in the widow's sandals again. Your boy's alive. He was dead. But now he's alive. And then this, this really a, what I consider to be a powerful testimony confession by this widow. She says, now I know that you were a man of God. Remember what I said last week about authenticating the messenger? Now I know that you, Elijah, are a man of God. And then it, it confirms the message. And that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. And most believe this is her confession. And she became a child of God. Just a word again out of that saying, not only God's people, Israel, were in his saving grace. But even this widow... In Zarephath. Who holds the power over life? Who holds the power over death? God, Yahweh, our God. This would not be the last time that God would raise someone from the dead. Elisha, 2 Kings 4, in fact, a very similar miracle, interesting. Although she's wealthy and not a widow, but he raises that person's son in the same way, by laying on the body and asking God to bring life back. Elisha would raise, that would be the second occurrence that we read of a miracle. We read, of course, in the Gospels about Jesus. Uh, I think we have three miracles that Jesus performed in the Gospels. Three that we are aware of. Remember, John says at the end, and Jesus did many other miracles and signs. But we are aware of three. One of them was, you remember, John 11, Lazarus, dead for three or four days. And Jesus says... Come out! Who has the power over death? Jesus says, come out, and Lazarus comes out. We also know that when Jesus was crucified, we read that at that time, there were many people that God raised out of the tombs. They didn't go back into the towns till after Jesus' resurrection. But there were many resurrections from the dead. We also read in Acts chapter 2 and in every gospel that when Jesus died and was crucified... God raised him, his own son, God himself, from the dead. We also read in the book of Acts, I said that last week, there were two accounts. First, we have when Peter said to Tabitha or Dorcas, arise from the dead. And she did. And later on, St. Paul in Acts chapter 20, remember this person who fell asleep because Paul was preaching so long till midnight? Eutychus was raised from the dead as well. All confirmations of the message that God would bring to these various messengers of his. And that God and God alone is the Lord of life and the Lord of death. <clears throat> Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to read stories about the resurrections and the resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of those when Jesus comes again. 1 Corinthians 15. 
But then also in 1 Thessalonians 4, chapters 13, verses 13 through 18, when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then others. And then and finally, Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, now the risen Christ is ascended, exalted in the heavens at the right hand of God. And, and what does he say to, and in this vision to the apostle John? I hold the keys to death. Nobody else does. No other God does. I not only hold the keys to life, but I hold the keys to death. Just let that sink in. Sometimes, you know, people will say something like, oh, we still have not come to Christ. You know, there are so many gods to choose from. There are so many religions that I could choose from. What makes Christianity unique? Why should I become a Christian? Why should I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? I'm going to tell you why this morning. It's probably the biggest reason why you should. There is only one God in the universe who has the power to raise people from the dead. No other God ever has. Zero. God is the Lord of life. God is the Lord of death. Our God is greater. Our God is greater than any other. There is no equal. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Can you see it as God uh, tells us about the, these miracles this morning. Now, we shouldn't understand something, and this is where things get a little, you scratch your head again a little bit. Because since the close of the New Testament era, we find few, if any, records of anybody else ever being raised from the dead. Uh, some of our church fathers, I think it was the fourth century, maybe the fifth century, some of them claim to have witnessed resurrections from the dead, but there's, of course, no solid proof that it happened. And there are some missionaries in the near past and even some today who said, well, if you go over on the mission field and, 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 and the Middle East and the like and, and Africa, there are stories of people being raised from the dead. But we don't know that for sure because we don't have things like confirmations that they were dead first. So there's this whole issue, and, and maybe someone that, that you're discipling might say, well, if God is the God who can raise people from the dead, why doesn't he do it anymore? Because the last recorded one we have is Eutychus in the New Testament. If God is so powerful, why wouldn't he raise that two-and-a-half-year-old girl who died when these people passionately pray for resurrection? And so when that happens, you see what it does? It begins to raise doubts in people's minds and maybe in someone's mind here this morning. Maybe God isn't who he says he is. Maybe God isn't as powerful as he says he is. We say, praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Maybe he's not so almighty after all. Is he still Lord of life? Is he still the Lord of death? It, it kind of puts God's credibility in jeopardy for some people. Why, why has God stopped raising people from the dead? And why didn't God raise that two-and-a-half-year-old girl after they fervently prayed for two weeks to have her to come back to life. And the truth is, God is still almighty. Right? God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, right? God is still almighty. He still is who he says he is. And God is still able to raise people from the dead. But he doesn't have to anymore today to prove himself. 
He doesn't have to do anything in that kind of caliber of miracle to prove that he is the God over life and death. Why? Like I said last week, because it's in the book. <laughs> this is why understanding what this book is all about. God's word is truth. I don't have to raise anybody from the dead. I don't have to perform a miracle in your life for you to believe in me because it's all in here. Why doesn't God perform miracles in the way that he did during the New Testament era? Can't answer that question. This is my best answer because it's already in the book. God has the power to raise people from the dead. He doesn't have to prove himself to us anymore. But let it be known, and don't forget, that when Jesus returns again in his glory, that two-and-a-half-year-old girl is going to rise from the dead. You believe that, right? Not only she will rise from the dead, but anybody who belongs to Christ, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then everyone else rising as well. For God so loved the world that he gave a son that whoever believes in him should not die but have eternal life. You will be raised again after death. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Again, at the time of the raising of Lazarus. He who believes in me is going to live even though he dies. You're going to be raised from the dead. And again, John 20, verse 31, where he concludes his writing, his gospel. It begins by saying, and Jesus said, many other miracles and signs like that are not written in this book. But he says, let's understand why he did miracles. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing in him, you may have life. Not Buddha, not any other God you could think of. You can have life and you too can be raised from the dead through Jesus Christ. Now I know, says this widow, that the word of God is truth. Right? And I pray, to, if you're here this morning and, and you don't quite understand all of this yet and still wondering what this Bible is all about, we know and believe that this book is truth. And I pray this morning as you consider your life and whatever you're facing, even in a tragic circumstance, or even if you're facing terminal illness or even the face of death, you need to understand and come to a knowledge of believing that God cares about you and knows you and can give you the comfort and the assurance you need that whether in life or in death, you can belong to him and have an assurance like no other assurance you can get from any other God. This is our God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Jim, the God of so many of you. And we continue to recognize him as the Lord of life and the Lord of death. And I hope you will know this as well, just like the widow had to know it, and then believe. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word, and, and we thank you for confirming in us what we may sometimes doubt, that you are Lord of life and Lord of death. Even when things don't go our way, even when you don't answer our prayers in the way that we want them answered, you still are in control. We thank you that you're the Lord of life and the Lord of every life here this morning and that you have the power to change lives, to transform lives, to change our circumstances. You have the power over nature and everything in this created order. And we thank you that you're that kind of Lord. But we also thank you that you're the Lord of death. And that death, that this great enemy has already been conquered because of Jesus' great resurrection. And that we can receive the comfort and the assurance this morning as we even face death and walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We have nothing to fear because we know that death is not the end. But the day of resurrection will come in which we will be risen again and our bodies gloriously renewed 
into the image of Jesus Christ in these spiritual bodies. Bring us comfort with these words so that we too may know the truth just as the widow came to know the truth, that whether in life or whether in death, we belong to Jesus Christ.